Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling. Thank you so much for joining me. Today we're up to episode nine. Episode nine, and we are speaking to Bob Spencer, rock guitar royalty in Australia. I would say he was a member of Skyhooks and the Angels, and he's working on a new solo album, which sounds awesome. We've got a sneak peek, a sneak preview of uh, one of the tracks, uh, bits of it anyway, and um, of course we, we speak in depth about the making of that album with, with Bob, and that's coming up in just a moment. Hey, this week I received some music off a guitarist from Toronto, Canada, by the name of Mike Dietrich. Now, Mike rips on the guitar. He's uh, influenced by guys like Yuli John Roth, Yngwie Malmsteen, that kind of school, and um, he's great. So I'm going to put some links on on our Facebook page, on the Guitar Speak podcast page, to, to Mike's stuff. But it got me thinking, if there's listeners out there, more listeners like Mike, we're doing some interesting stuff on the guitar and I really don't care what style or genre if you've listened to this show for a little while you know we're into uh, everything from rock to ambient to whatever so um, if you're doing something cool on the guitar you want to send us some tracks that, that'd be cool if we get a few of them um, we might dedicate part of a show um, to unearthing some new talent so if you've got some tracks send them to us we're at uh, guitarspeakpodcast at gmail.com that's our email, or you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram and contact us through there as well. Now, onto our interview with Bob Spencer. Now, Bob is a fantastic guitar player. I have been listening to Bob play for years. Um, I first saw him live in the early 90s at a drum clinic of all places. I think it was a, um, I think it was Matt Bissonette, who was David Lee Roth's drummer at the time. There was a, a clinic. Um, he was he was drumming. Um, Tracy Guns, the uh, the LA guitar player, was playing. He was meant to be the big draw card, and then Bob came and played. And um, man, fantastic, great, just great phrasing and tone and everything. Also saw Bob play with his band Black Cat Moan, which uh, which was around in the early 90s for a little while, kind of like a blues, electric blues kind of thing. And they were really great. And um, to hear him up close uh, in a small pub was was awesome. Now, of course, he's better known for his work um, in Skyhooks and also in The Angels. In The Angels, between 86 and 92, he was uh, one of the chief um, songwriters as well as being uh, sharing guitar duties with Rick Brewster. That was an amazing partnership, and we uh, listened to a little bit of playing from both gentlemen in the interview today. Now, I heard some really great news this year that Bob was working on a solo album. So he tells us all about that as well. In fact, we get a little bit of a sneak peek. He's, uh, he's actually released uh, a video of the first track from the album. It's been completed yet. It's a tune called Who Are Those People? Here's a little bit of a listen now. Hey, and keep listening because we'll get to the solo during the interview. <laughs> Great, great to have you. Bob, when did you first start playing guitar? I uh, started when I was around nine, and uh, my first lessons were at school. Uh, a really delightful brother at school. They were not all delightful, as you probably know, having heard about various ugly Morris Brothers things. But the guitar teacher that I had at school was a really good bloke um, who was smart enough to leave the brotherhood and get married. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, uh, I, I began with him when I was around nine. The guitar was not my first instrument of choice. It was saxophone. And my dad, who's bigger than I am, he's kind of a big bloke, and I was a, a little bloke, um, he said that I was too small, and that was really it. He told me to choose something else. 
So for reasons that I can no longer remember, I chose guitar. Mm -hmm. And very quickly, I became pretty good. And within a few months of, of learning from Brother Edward at school, I knew what he knew. And I had to go outside and find a, a private guitar teacher. And, and I kept up my lessons until I was, I think, 16. Okay, great. So I, I, I learned for, um, I guess, what's that, seven years. And, and um, being born in 1957 and learning when I did, it meant that I went through some of those exams that we used to have in the old days. Okay. Um, and I found those certificates the other day, which is <laughs> cute. Very good. Uh, so, <clears throat> so I learned for a long while that the lessons were short. Everything was half an hour in those days. Um, and you didn't get to cover the things that I now believe are vitally important. We did things like scales and technique, and that's all great. But we did nothing with regards to playing guitar in a band mm -hmm. or how to play a groove or how to get a, uh, an appropriate sound or what equipment might work or might not. We did none of that. I mean, zero, not a damn thing. And now, of course, being the age that I am and having played as long as I have, I realise that those things are of vital importance. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to know modes, but if you don't know how to put that into a a solo or you don't know how to pull a guitar sound then it's pretty useless really yeah for sure um, it becomes your knowledge becomes useless if you can't put it into practice um my thing is a lot of my point of view is is based on um the goal of having my students play in a band mm -hmm. so and and you know the the appropriate high high heels and latex to wear is one aspect, but um, but the other things are uh, you know, pulling a sound, what sort of pedals you might want to use, yeah. and accepting that there's no and this brings this opens up another doorway. There is no best. There's just stuff that you think works, mm -hmm. and maybe more importantly, fun. Uh, I'm only interested in in equipment that allows me to have fun. Um, I'm not really interested in whether it sounds good or bad or anything, really. I, if I'm having fun playing through something, I'll find a way to work to make it work. Yeah, cool. If you weren't learning about being in a band, did you mm. start doing garage bands or something around then? So when you're around 16? Oh, or yeah, so? it was earlier than that. Um, I joined my first garage band when I was maybe 12 or 13, yeah, and, cool. and the, the blokes in the band were... 18, 19 years old, mm -hmm. uh, so it didn't last very long. They were talking about girls and cars and all sorts of things, yeah. and I had no idea what they were on about, so it didn't uh, really last that long. I, on a playing level, I could keep up with them. Yeah. What, what were you playing? What kind of, what kind of tunes? Um, I recall doing things like Black Sabbath, yeah. stuff like that, and, and sort of writing our own material. Um, it was it was very English based as has most of my listening was English based rock um, <clears throat> and you know rehearsing in the lounge room that sort of thing mm -hmm. didn't last very long and then I think I must have been around 14 when I joined a Sydney band by the name of Finch and they were 18 19 20 years old okay uh, so emotionally, I was, you know, behind them. But again, playing-wise, I was on par with them. So the band kind of worked. And I, I stayed with them for, for, geez, what was it, four or five years? Okay. And you, you ended up doing albums and, and tours with those guys? Oh, yeah. We uh, did uh, my first album with them, uh, which was a surfing album, um, a, a very famous surfer by the name of peter druin if you're a, if you're a surfer you know that name mm -hmm. um everybody else doesn't uh, we did an album for for a film about him and uh, that was my first record proper recording experience wow. which was great i learned i learned an enormous amount and i asked 
a zillion questions, which is how I learn. Um, And then that had a couple of original tunes on it. Then uh, later on, we did uh, um, another album, a studio album of maybe it was nine or ten original tunes. Mm -hmm. And we did a couple of singles and we did a lot of touring. And I was still at school. I, I completed my 12 years at school. So in the last couple of years at school, I was out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays gigging. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and then on the road during my school holidays. Uh huh. Yeah. Wow, and your parents obviously were on board. Yeah, my parents were cool with all that. They um, they were cool. They they weren't cool in a lot of other ways, but they were cool with regards to me going out and playing and. And they trusted me, and I, you know, I didn't develop a drug habit or anything like that, and I was too sensible for that. Um, so they trusted me, and I was hanging out with people a lot older, um, but there didn't seem to be any problems. Yeah. Not that I'm aware of. I, I remember something funny, where when I was about 16 or so, one of the parents at school chastised my parents for allowing me to be in a rock and roll band because they claimed that all people in all musicians were drug addicts Mm -hmm. and my parents stuck up for me. Um, They were kind of like that. They would stick up for me as well. Cool. That's great. Uh, Yeah, it was kind of weird, but but good. Awesome. What was your rig like then? Oh, I had a late fifties Telecaster. Wow. uh, With uh, a homemade fast box. I wish I still had the fast box. Of course, as we all do, Uh, and I played into a Leonard GB60 head with a Leonard 212 box. Wow, that's awesome. And it was was great. I wouldn't mind having that rig back. Uh, If anyone has it, I would like it back. Thank you very (laughs) much. I will pay for it. I would like it back. Um, So that was my first real rig, and uh, then I eventually went on to having two Wasp 100-watt heads and two Wasp quad boxes, Uh, as you did. (laughs) <laughs> uh, back then great uh, it's a couple of good uh, Aussie Aussie brands there Leonard and Wasp oh yeah yeah, yeah. cool yeah and uh, those sounds still inform me and a lot of the bands that I saw were using Australian equipment mm-hmm. so I still remember the sound of um, Strauss the ones that didn't explode uh, <laughs> balls of fire uh, I remember the sounds of Strauss through JBLs. If you Strauss through JBL, I can hear that sound. Wow. Um, I can still hear uh, wasps. They, they, they were the, the amps that were very common. Wasp, Leonard, um, things like Golden Tone, Moody. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yep. sort of thing. Okay. So those sounds, are, they, were, they became familiar to me and... An interesting thing is, even to this day, they still sort of sound familiar mm-hmm. because cool. that's what I grew up on. I did. I'm, I'm not from England, I'm, even though I was listening to uh, English amps. Yeah. What was around me at gigs were mostly um, uh, Australian amps and Fenders, things like Fender sure. Twins. Um, people didn't use little Fenders that I remember. It, if you had a Fender, it was a Fender Twin. Right, yeah. Um, and uh, there were a few Marshalls around, of course, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, cool. So when did you wind up with Finch? Uh, when I joined the Skyhooks. Um, okay, so it was a direct kind of shift over for you. Yeah. Finch were going around in circles. We were a, we were a good band. Now, what I mean by that is that we played well and our singer sang very well he's a very good singer but we didn't have songs um we we rather egotistically thought that we could get by by being a good band and i remember we were very concerned about how well we played but we kind of missed the big picture which is if you don't have songs it really doesn't matter how well you play sure so the band began began going <coughs> excuse me the band began going round in circles and doing the same gigs and not really in, 
uh, increasing our audience and feeling a bit lost and and having internal conflicts and that was all brought to a head by us living in the same house in Melbourne. Okay. We moved to Melbourne. And I remember that there were two or three wives as well um, and maybe one or two kids and all in the same house. And that is just an absolute recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, so I was very unhappy. It, it was that's the situation... Uh, where, uh, you know, you have your own cheese in the fridge and you don't want anybody else touching it, yeah, you know, that sure. sort of thing. It was, yep. it was terrible. And a, I had already become friends with Skyhooks hmm. uh, because Finch supported them. Oh, okay. And yep. I, I got along really well. I became a friend of Skyhooks. The other guys in, in the band didn't, but, but I did. And um, I kept in contact with Greg McCainch in particular, and one day, totally out of the blue, um, I used to see Greg socially. You know, we'd see each other and write each other letters and postcards in mm -hmm. those days yep. and keep in contact. And out of the blue, he called me and um, um, he left a message for me and I called him back and he said, can I see you when you get to Melbourne or something like that? I, I was, a, I don't know where we were, Ballarat or more will or something out in the Victorian country. And um, I said, sure. So I called him when I got back to Melbourne and he said, well, Red's out. Would you like to join the band? And it, it was totally from left field, totally unexpected. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and I thought, well, this is actually the opportunity I have to leave Finch regardless of what I do. Sure. Because Finch were going around in circles, and whether I join the hooks or not, I really need to leave yeah. this other band. And uh, it turns out that I that I did join Skyhooks here. Yeah. Wow, brilliant! And so it was great. It was the the biggest learning curve I've ever experienced in music. Yeah, yeah. What what kind of things oh, yeah. would you learn? Uh, arrangements, uh, attention to detail in terms of arrangements, how songs, watching Greg. Uh, shape the songs. Yeah, because he was the... Greg, okay. Sorry, was Greg Greg was the main songwriter in Skyhooks? He's pretty much the only songwriter. Okay. Red wrote a couple of things, but... Right. Uh, but, Red, but Greg wrote, out of, I don't know how many albums the band had, five albums, he, he probably wrote all but, you know, four songs. Mm. Um, <clears throat> wow. So he was... Yeah, and it's it's his band. It's always been his band, and I'm I'm happy to say it's Greg's band. That's not a problem. It's yeah. not an issue. But I learned a lot just watching the way he um, put songs together and listening to the demos, and then learning the parts. and And the band were totally on top of the business end, which I'd never seen before. Okay, they were absolutely on top of it. Everybody worked for them. Mushroom Records worked for them. Michael Gadinsky worked for them. The road crew, you know, everybody. The, it was very clear who was at the top of the tree, and that was the band. Mm -hmm. And the band steered everything. And um, um, it was a, a, the most amazing experience to have, a, a, particularly as a, a young lad. I was 19 when I joined the band. Okay, yep. Um, and they were also the most professional band I'd ever seen. The first time I saw Skyhooks, and I've told this story before, um, I'd heard them on the radio and I thought the songs were really well done, mm. really well done, very clever, very interesting, very clever. And I went with Finch to see them and Skyhooks played their first gig under the pylons of the Harbour Bridge in Sydney. must have been 74. Okay, wow-ish. And we all went, and I was just hanging to hate them because <laughs> because I was convinced that they were fags from Melbourne and um, in the nicest possible way back then. You know, we're thinking yeah, 70s. Sure, okay? sure. It's not an anti-gay thing. And uh, I was really kind of wanting to dislike them because they were fantastic, but they were from Melbourne, and I thought, well, this, this, is, this is not going to flow. And they totally blew my mind they were they were on another level now i had seen 
bands like Sherbet. I've seen Sherbet close up a number of times because Finch had supported them many times. So they were friends of mine, and I used to see them at nightclubs, and I'd seen the gigs. And uh-huh. so I'd seen Sherbet and Thorby and the Lardy Dars, and I'd seen all the what were what were the top bands. And Skyhooks made everybody sound like they were still at Mum and Dad's garage. <laughs> Uh, when I that gig that I saw in in Sydney uh, was frightening. It was really, it was really kind of scary. Wow. Oh, that's what you have to do if you really want to be good. That's what you have to do. Everything was together. Everything was together. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. So um, uh, I was converted, of course, but I didn't meet them until. I don't know, a year later. Okay. I don't really remember. Maybe a couple of years later, whatever it was. Sure. And um, um, which albums were you involved with? Uh, the first album, I, I only did two or three. I uh, did a live album called Live Be In It, mm-hmm. which is a good live album, and a studio album which had women in uniform on it. That was called Guilty Until Proven Insane, which has got... Some good work, some work that I'm very, very happy with on that album. I was only 19 when I recorded it. The good guitar sounds, um, well recorded, well produced. was replaced by a lovely man by the name of Tony Williams, but basically the band fell apart. Okay. We did another album, which I think is awful, okay. uh, which we all think is awful, sounds awful, terrible, and then we broke up. And then I supported myself. Oh, I, I played with various people. I played with John English and Russell Morris and John Swan and whatever. Okay. Um, but I supported myself by... Being an audio engineer, I, I, I was a, I was a working recording engineer for a few years. Oh, okay, so this is in Melbourne, so you stayed down there. Uh, this is back in Sydney. Oh, I okay. moved to Sydney. Yep. Yeah, and uh, uh, I've always loved recording. I'm quite addicted to recording. Okay, and ever since I was very young, um, I've wanted to know about everything that's going on, especially in the studio. So I got to do that full time for a few years. Great. And where were you working doing that stuff? A couple of studios in Sydney. Yeah. Reel-to-reel studios. Yeah. That, that don't exist anymore. Okay, sure. Uh, but working with tape and big desks and all that it was great. great. Awesome. It was a really good learning experience. And then um, um, I joined the Angels. Again, same sort of thing. There was no plan. I Rick Brewster, in particular, had been a friend of mine for a very long while okay. because I met the Angels before they were the Angels when yeah. they moved to Sydney in... 72 or 3 or oh, something. because okay. they were up from Adelaide, weren't they? Adelaide. Yeah. So I met them back then, and uh, we did gigs with them in, in Finch. And Rick was a mate, and we used to see each other. And I, I had another band going for a little while, and we did some angel supports. It's all very friendly. And in those days, we used to do a little bit of hanging out together. and We'd see each other at gigs afterwards, um, nightclubs and whatever. So one day I was on the phone with Rick and um, I called him about the studio that I was working in and I I called him to let him know that if he wanted to do some demos, then let me know and I could get him a good rate to do demos in a studio. And he said, oh, cool. And and then I asked him, you know, what you doing? How's it going? And he said, oh, John just left the band. And I said, oh, well, if you want a guitar player, let me know. So the next thing I was in the band. Okay. It was, you know, it was just one of those things. You're, you're on the phone and someone says blah and you go, oh, blah. And he says, oh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and the next thing you're, you're doing something. Wow. That's it cool. All, yeah. Yeah. It is. I don't mean to diminish it at all. It, it, it sure. was cool. But it's just that's what happens when you have friends in the who are doing I'm sure it happens with, you know, carpenters and, and 
and alpha mechanics and all sorts of people. Sure, yeah. I'm sure that stuff happens in IT and whatever. Yeah. That's just what happened with us. I don't know how it happens now. Um, There don't seem to be those after-hours clubs that bands go to Mm. like we used to. Plus, the music scene is is quite um, uh, small compared with what it was when I was a kid and there were lots of bands and we used to do socialising and yeah so, so you'd find out what was going on yeah right so when was this this is around 84 oh um no I think I joined the Angels in 80 um oh god was it 85 or 86 okay yeah uh, Angels fans know more about this stuff than I do yeah right uh, I, I just don't I don't think in those terms yeah you know, um, sometimes I remember the years, but but I don't really focus on them. Yeah. So I think I joined in '85. Okay, '85 sounds about right. Okay, so yeah. both, both these bands, you replaced Red Simons in Skyhooks and then John Brewster. Yep. Both yep. those guys are predominantly rhythm players. I mean, they they do some parts, yep. but predominantly rhythm guys. You come in with a whole different slant. Was there ever? I don't know. Was there much adjustment in in either of those bands? you come in as a lead yeah. player when there's an established kind of lead player there already? Well, the Red used to play a lot of lead lines. Okay. The, an, an interesting thing about Skyhooks is that their the rhythm lead thing is if you forget about the solos, mm. what's going on the rest of the time is quite mixed. It's quite intricate, yeah. It's very intricate, yeah. extremely intricate. So the hard work for me in Skyhooks was learning to play those parts in a really tidy, nimble fashion. Yeah, um, I've always been a nimble player, not a fast player, but I have reasonable accuracy. Learning to play those parts so that they were always absolutely repeatable and in sync with Greg. A lot of the guitar parts are doubled with the bass. Oh, okay, yeah. So learning to play those guitar parts synced with greg and bob starkey was a a chore it was Mm -hmm. hard my phrasing was different from their phrasing i hear triplets different to this day i hear them slightly differently from how they hear triplets yeah um and there were there were little adjustments like that and 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 playing songs that greg wrote Unlike what I was doing previously, playing songs that I wrote because I wrote most of the music for Finch, mm-hmm. so I I wrote and played material which is pretty easy, or I played Free, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, which is all pretty easy, and and then you compare that with Skyhooks where I had to learn parts mm. that were written by Greg, which were nothing like Deep Purple or Black Sabbath or Grand Funk Railroad or any of that stuff, they were very, very particular parts. So that was the chore for me. And I don't mean chore in a bad way. Sure. That sure. was my task. That was the work of it, yeah. Task is a better word. My task was to learn to play those parts as Greg wrote them. So when you came into the Angels, was the original yeah. brief, we, we, we just filling John's parts to start with? Yeah. Um, it was easy. I, I was just playing rhythm parts. I don't play like John. I come from John's older than I am, and he comes from a different background mm-hmm. um, from me. Uh, John has um, John and Doc um, are were ten years older than I am, so John has more of a and I and I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but he he has a bit of the kind of 50s thing and also some of the 60s folk thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he really likes uh, Bob Dylan. Yeah, sure. So I didn't come from anything like that. I came from rhythm players who slashed their guitars. My background in rhythm playing is Paul Kossoff, Pete Townsend. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, those two guys, I guess. So the di- there was a difference, um, no, I don't think a bad difference, but it was a little bit different. And I, the guitar parts that John played were pretty much the same parts that Rick played. 
Okay. Yeah. A lot of the angels is what a friend of mine calls the monolithic guitar sound. <laughs> That's um, like perfect. That's such a great description. It's, it's really good. <laughs> um, so I learned those guitar parts and played them to the best of my ability. They don't they don't sound like John, but John doesn't sound like me. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, so I played the rhythm parts, and I didn't play any lead stuff at all. And then it just became pretty obvious that, well, Bob can play lead. It's it's another thing that we can sell. So I – and I was obviously writing for the band. Yeah, I was going to um, ask, what, what was the um... – what was the process for writing? Because was it with Rick? Was he the other sort of main writer? Yeah. Well, I've, I've never stopped writing. Yeah. So uh, I wrote most of the music for the band I was in earlier, Finch, yeah. and I'd never stopped. So I built up a whole stack of music while I was in Skyhooks. Mm -hmm. Then I had a couple of original bands that went nowhere after Skyhooks, lots and lots of original songs. So I joined the Angels with a, a – I already had a back catalogue of – lots of different bits and pieces okay, and yep. i just played them to rick and he'd go i like that so that would turn into a song yeah cool i'd do a demo at home on my four track or what later became an eight track mm -hmm. and i'd play them to the band and if the band liked them we'd record them and it just so happened that pretty much everything that i i'm i think that everything i gave to the band the band recorded Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, so, again, no grand plan. It's just what I do. I write all the time. In fact, the problem for me is that I write too much and it interferes with my life. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm forever putting down ideas. Yeah. Um, so writing for the band came very naturally. And what I did was I was kind of selective about what I gave the band. I, I, I tried not to give the band stuff those people um, uh, couldn't really get their teeth stuck into. Yeah. There was no point giving Doc a vocal part that was, for example, out of his range mm -hmm. or, or whatever. Um, so I, the material that I presented to the band, the band was stuff that I thought the band would be able to deliver. Yeah, cool. And it, and it turned out that it kind of worked. So first album I did with the band, there were a couple of my things on it, and then by the time of Beyond Salvation, there, well, you know, a lot of that music is mine. Not, I, I don't want to take credit for lyrics and melody, mm -hmm. some melodies maybe, but, but, but not lyrics, but a lot of the music is mine. Wow. Yeah. And that was and, the biggest album from the Angels. It was. And obviously I, I wrote with Rick, and Rick's no slouch when it comes to writing riffs. Mm -hmm. So Rick provided a lot of stuff on that album. Yeah, cool. And he, uh, most of the lyrics on that album are Rick. Okay, yep, cool. That doesn't mean he didn't write music, he did. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, it's, it's hard to get this stuff across. Yeah, sure. Uh, really. um, but my involvement was music and Rick's involvement was music and lyrics. And there were other lyrics written by, a little bit written by Brent Eccles and literally a, a few lines written by Doc, I think. Okay, yep. Doc really wasn't writing okay. at, at all. From the time I joined the band, Doc wasn't involved in the writing. Okay. Um, I don't know what happened. I've only heard stories, but I don't literally know what happened when Doc was writing before I was in the band because I wasn't there. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I can't, I can't inform. But uh, while I was in the band, uh, no, he, he wrote like almost nothing. Mm. Um, I, I always thought you and Rick were a good team. Um, Great team. I love Rick. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's one of the, one of the, the um, I don't know, just such a iconic, melodic kind of soloist. I, and, yeah, um, look, I, I use his solos to teach my students. Okay, yeah. Um, they're, they're, they tick so many boxes. Um, and... What's great about his solos is that they are the antithesis of guitar solos. They are compositions.
So whereas most guitar players would think about what licks can I throw out, yeah, yeah, Rick doesn't think like that at all. He he thinks what melody do I want, and then he happens to play it on guitar. Yeah, cool. which is another uh, another um, task I give my students, by the way, mm-hmm. to write solos in their heads, yeah, and then play them, cool. but not the other way around. It's just a task. It's a device. So Rick's fantastic at that. Yeah, great. I don't. the The point is for for me though, Rick's so melodic, but so are you. Like, um, in a different way. Yeah, I guess. I, I'm thinking like solos, like um, are the dogs. Yeah. The solo in that super melodic. You could sing it. Your your grandmother could sing it, and it's still rocking and aggressive, but it's quite tuneful. to have to do solos that people can sort of see yeah so when when and i did that there's this the the, the that single thing i have who called who are these people yeah, if you've yeah. heard the solo yeah, in that, I have. right it's the same sort of thing it's kind of kooky and wacky but yeah. there's a story going on you can kind of see it so what what i go for is that's how I that's how I approach a solo. I want to be able to kind of see the image of the solo. Okay. Yep. And so, dogs are talking for me is that sort of solo. I can I can. I'm I'm sorry to sound like a, a bloody hippie, but <laughs> I, I sort of see the structure of the solo. Okay. Yep. And and I hope that people can remember how the solo sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's. That's one thing that I aim for because I don't think there's much point in playing a solo that everybody forgets. You think, well, why have a solo in the first place? For sure. Is for it just, sure. Am I just showing off? Mm-hmm. You know. So Rick. Anyway, back to Rick. Rick's fantastic at doing that at, at writing melodic solos, um, and uh, I loved that about working with him, and I I still love that about hearing him. I. I played with them um, a few weeks ago in Sydney. Okay, I just just did a few songs and uh, and those solos, they're magic. Yeah, and you, the great thing about what he plays is is you you pretty much can't imagine those songs without those solos. Yeah, definitely, definitely. They would be severely lacking something. Mm. So that I think. That's a wonderful thing. That's a really wonderful thing. Yeah, cool. And I'd argue the same for yours, absolutely. The um, oh, thank you. Thank you. that track you mentioned. Um, who are these people? Who are these people? Yeah, what a great tune. I love that solo. It was like classic Spencer. <laughs> thank you. Super melodic um, and ripping. So that's from your solo album that you're putting together at the moment? That's right. So I, I, I embarked on this scary crowdfunding journey. Yeah. Um, and that went pretty well. Um, now I have to deliver the album, of course. So I'm spending the next three months at home mm-hmm. uh, recording it. Yeah. Um, who Are These People is, I guess that would be the lightest track of the 12. Okay. Um, a few of the other things are just big, slow monster grooves. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, but at least another few of them. And and there will be one instrumental song. There's a song called Marubra, mm-hmm. um, which is, I guess, a surf song. Yeah, cool. Um, 
but the rest will be with I'm singing on them as well. Yeah, great. Well, you've always is, sung BVs and things. Yeah, I've sung BVs, and and now I've, it's it's kind of part of least resistance, Matt. It's um, um, I I could work with a singer, and let's face it, most of the planets sing better than I do. Um, but it's it's really about when I can get together with somebody and work and how much time we've got and whether we can coordinate and and how it's going to go and and all that sort of stuff. And it's just easier. I'm not saying it's better, but it's just easier for me to continue doing it by myself. Yeah, sure. Well, so yeah. That's what I'll do. I mean, who are those people? You deliver it perfectly. It's that whole sardonic kind of take on the net. And Oh, oh thank you. Yeah. I wanted to be really kind of <laughs> ordinary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't want it to. I didn't want to try and sound like a real singer because mm -hmm. I wanted the song to be delivered in a way that anyone could just, you know, almost talk along with it. Yeah, sure, cool. So yeah, but it turned it turned out pretty well. Yeah, yeah. great. So so that track is pretty much done, I guess. Oh, that track's done. I'll probably I'll tweak the mix probably for the for the album. Yeah. Um, but I'm not re-recording anything. I'm, yeah. I'm over, man. I'm I don't want to listen to it again <laughs> at all for a long, long while. Uh, that's so cool. that's done. And and today I've been working on a song called "When the Devil Gets to Heaven," mm -hmm. which is a, a that sort of big groove. Yeah. Cool. Um, and. Uh, that's got a drop D in it. Oh yeah, but but it's not chugger chugger, doesn't. It? Um, and yeah, I'm just going to continue working here at home. I have a um, a very small room and a, and a small setup, but uh, I use an uh, amp made by Ivan Richards. Oh yeah, yep. you know Ivan who lives in Gosford. Yeah, I know of his amps definitely. Yeah, right. So I've got an Ivan Richards amp, uh, a few pedals. And I've built myself an isolation box. Actually, you can see it. Can you see this big coloured thing? <laughs> right? It says Bob Star, my little girl. That is right. great. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to get a picture for the podcast, guys. <laughs> you see inside it? That is awesome. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, that's great. So a few mics in there and a, and yeah. a, a twelve inch speaker box. Yeah, cool. Um, which I can pull out if I'm ever doing small gigs. Yeah, nice. And uh, that's the the sound that you hear on "Who Are These People" is is just uh, one Ivan Richards amp mm -hmm. going into one speaker yeah. with. I don't think I used any pedals. Okay. Uh, I think no. I think the solo has um, an Ivan Richards blues drive on it oh, okay yeah uh, to make it middly really middly yeah yeah it's i like solos to 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 be really focused in the mid-range really focused in the mid-range um but other than that it's all pretty ordinary you know guitar amplifiers it's 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 not rocket science yeah what's the red guitar you're using in the clip the red guitar is made by um a lovely chap from the Victorian country by the name of Jeremy Johnson. Cool. And it's, it's, I mean, it looks, what attracted me to, to it in the first place was because it kind of looks like an old guy tone. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Jeremy and I tweaked the, um, tweaked the shape a little bit. But in terms of build, it's pretty normal stuff. It's a mahogany body, mm -hmm. a mahogany neck. Ebony fretboard and pickups by um, the master pickup builder Mick Briley. Okay, cool. And so I have Mick Briley's in one, two, three, four. Mick Briley's in six guitars. Wow, there you go. The um, so I, I love his work. They look really cool. They've got the foil kind of cover. That one, on that one, yeah, those, see, they, yeah, they're like a filler shave um, uh, <laughs> razor. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, it's a, a low output pickups. Okay. Um, and those ones are a little bit bright, mm -hmm. a little bit bright and, and low. I, I really like low output pickups. I'm not big on high output pickups. I figure if you want more dirt, just turn your amp up or yeah. 
use a fuzz box or something. Um, so all the pickups I've got are, are reasonably low output. Okay. And cool. I've stopped taking notice of what magnets are in them. Yeah. I, I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> I went through years of wanting to know everything. Yeah. And and now I just don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I call Mick and I vaguely explain if I can what I'm after and, and he he makes something and they appear in the post and only once have I said I don't like this mm-hmm. um, and he's made me new ones yeah. but every other time what has turned up goes into the guitars oh that's awesome that's great yeah hey I interrupted you sorry you were talking about pulling guitar sounds before I asked oh, you about your, your guitar I, I find it pretty easy yeah um, and look, I don't know why I find it easy. That's something I haven't really thought about. Um, but I find that getting a guitar sound is not is not all that hard. Um, maybe it's because when I'm recording, I'm I'm thinking I'm not thinking about getting a great guitar sound. I'm thinking of getting a sound that I think will suit the song mm-hmm. and that will suit the other instruments in the song so everything will happily live together. Yeah, right. Um, but I think it's pretty simple. You get an amp that you like and if you're recording, there's no reason to have a loud amplifier. If you if you happen to like a loud amplifier, that's great, but there's no reason to have a loud amplifier purely because it's loud. So... Uh, an amplifier that you you think the tone is pretty good rather than the volume is really loud. Um, um, that a, a rig that is responsive to your way of playing. Um, don't try and get a sound that where you're trying to just mirror image or copy somebody else's sound because you're not them. You don't play like them. Um, and I. I think keeping those things in mind, it's not all that hard to get a guitar sound. I, I am careful. I don't want you to take that like I'm not careful. I am careful. Um, recording on slightly on the cleaner side of dirty helps mm-hmm. uh, once it's in the mix. Yeah. If if things are too dirty, you lose the front yeah, of the sure. note, and. Um, and the front of the note is the bit that I'm really concerned about. I'm not really concerned about sustain. I, I don't really care if guitars sustain or not. I'm, I'm, well, if they don't sustain at all, they sound like a banjo, okay? Mm-hmm. A banjo is all front and no sustain. Yeah, right, cool. So, um, yeah, so if, the, if you get to comp- all front and no sustain, it sounds like a banjo. So... That's probably not something you want to do. But uh, the the beginning of the note really concerns me, and a little bit of sustain. But I'm I'm not one of those um, people who who want a guitar to sustain forever. That interferes with my rhythm playing. Okay. Yeah. The guitar sustains a lot. I I can't play rhythm. Mm-hmm. It's just it goes against my rhythm style. So. I set up everything for uh, a rhythm sound. I don't really set up for solo sounds. I oh, set okay. up for rhythm sounds and, uh, and you know, hit a stomp box or turn your guitar up for the solo. Yeah, right. That's interesting. So a lot of guys would, be, would do it the total opposite way, you know, set up for the solo and then... Oh, God, no. Yeah. I, I reckon, well, why? Uh, it, at a gig, I don't know what percentage of the time you're playing rhythm, but I'm guessing... 95% of the time, yeah, sure. Yeah. 90% of the time. So um, uh, if I have to do a sound check quickly, uh, like at a, at a gig, um, let's say it's one of those things where you just drive to the gig and get up on stage and play and uh, with an unknown amp, all I do is hit a couple of A chords. If I can get an A chord to sound pretty good yeah. and I carry with me one stomp box like a, a, a Richard's Blues Drive, mm-hmm then I'm done. If I can get my A chord to sound cool, then I just put the stomp box on the fly. I don't even need to check it. I know it's all going to work. Yeah. So awesome. I, I set up from a rhythm point of view, not, I don't set up anything from a solo point of view. That's, I reckon that's the easy bit. I know guitar players stress about solo sounds, 
I don't, I just don't think that's the hard bit. I, I, my focus is always getting a rhythm sound. Yeah, and cool. for me, the solo sound follows. So, hmm, that's just the way, you know, it's just, as you know, we've, you've, you've interviewed a million guys. Everybody's got a different point of view. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Hey, um, I've got a couple of questions from the Facebook. Um, I, I told a few people I was speaking to you and a couple of people okay. had some questions. Um, Zog's guitar strings. Chris Churchwood, my mate, asked, are you still using yeah. Zog's guitar strings? No, I'm not, but I'm still using the... Okay, no, the, the short answer is no, I'm not. Mm -hmm. However, we, we need to go back in time to 1977 when I at first dawned on me that the gauges that we were being sold were wrong okay so since 1977 and i remember the gig uh it was in it was at actually at the canberra uh university yeah with skyhooks i re recall going this is wrong and i went out and bought different gauge strings so from 1977 i've used my own custom gauge strings okay. so what were they what was what was the gauge you had a problem with um uh, the I had a problem with everything I bought, whether it was nine to forty-two, or ten to forty-six, or okay. ten to fifty-two. They all felt kind of wrong to me. Okay. Now I know that the reason they felt wrong is because the tensions are all over the place. Mm -hmm. Okay. So from nineteen seventy-seven, I started to put together my own string sets, normally with a ten on top. Yeah. So they were around ten to around sixty. So wow. I used that for a number of years, and then, um, and then I eventually got to twelve to sixty-six. Um, again, my own custom gauge based on how they feel. Yeah. And then I, years ago, I, I got a. So there is a story. I got a <laughs> wrist. I had a wrist problem. Okay. And I freaked out, so I went to light strings. Yeah. And then, um, so I started putting together my own light gauges. And they were around nine. This is very light. Yeah. Around nine, ending on around fifty. Okay. And it just so happens that somewhere along the line, I was introduced to Zog strings. I can't remember how. I was probably googling. And um, so I bought some Zog strings. And the thing about them is the graduated tension. Now, the only reason I'm not using them anymore is because I like the sound of GHS strings. Mm -hmm. So I'm currently using a, a, uh, what I, a, a gauge I put together of GHS, which goes for any of the geeks. I'm assuming you have geeks. <laughs> yeah. uh, my gauge is 9, 12, 16, 24, 32, 50. Wow. That's a big jump on the end. Well, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, wow. And cool. that's the whole thing. It, so course. it allows me to still play the rhythm I play. Yep and play fiddly bits. Yeah, cool. So the only reason I went off the Zogs is because I felt they didn't sound quite as snappy okay. as the GHS. The yeah. GHS, to my ears, sound a bit snappier. I'm just about to try the new Daddario NY strings or N oh, frickin' okay. something strings. Yeah, right. Um, they're setting me my custom gauge oh cool so in singles nice yeah so and, and I, I advise everybody to to mess around with with gauges to find what feels right for you yeah you know just because i don't know rory gallagher used it or Jimi hendrix or slash that's well that's lovely but if it doesn't feel right for you then mm. why are you doing it yeah yeah it's the same when it comes to equipment there's no point in saying my favourite guitar player is, I don't know, mention somebody. Therefore, I'm going to use his rig. Sure. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me anyway. So, I'd suggest that people, players, find what works for them. Yeah. It's like a car, you know, car that you enjoy driving. I might not enjoy driving. So that that's the the long. I'm sorry. That's the long answer about the Zogs. Yeah. I right. love cool. I love the tension, yeah. But I, I um, but I'm, I'm now enjoying the GHS um, snappiness a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Hey, another question was: um, 
do you prefer live tracking or overdubs or I guess with your oh, home studio? Yeah. I love it all. Yeah. I love it all. Yeah, I just I, I love the whole process, man. I, I love I love being with other people and tracking together. I love I love being by myself and uh-huh. and honing my parts. I I don't like any one part of it anymore. That what I miss, I can say what I miss is I miss the friction in a band. Uh-huh. Uh, I I think friction is a good thing, and um, working by myself means that um i don't have anyone to argue with Mm -hmm. and that that can be a bit of a drag yeah you know you think you have all this freedom but in fact that can be a bit restricting Uh i think friction is a good thing so i miss having a little bit of friction with people i trust and like by the way not idiots yeah i miss friction with idiots yeah yeah so like a creative (laughs) (laughs) a creative kind of friction yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So the album comes out in around October, is that right? Yeah, we're aiming for October. That's what I've promised people, so yeah. um, that's what it will be. Now, I've, I've, the tunes are all written, Yeah. so now it's just a matter of uh, putting down the drum tracks for a bunch of them Yeah. and staying at home and recording them and then going through the grief of mixing mm-hmm. and uh, mastering and all that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be doing it and... I, I I just need to get it out of my system, Matt. Uh huh. Cool. All these things out of my system. Well, we're glad you're doing it because uh, the bits we've heard so far are awesome. So that's cool. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks very much. Yeah. What's the best way for people to keep up to date with the album and, and just what you're doing in general? Uh, well, Facebook is the way to do it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a Facebook page which is forward slash Bob Spencer Official. Right, Bob Spencer Official is the Facebook page. Okay, yep. um, I'm not terribly good of it with Instagram and Twitter. Sure. Um, just because I, you know, I forget there are other things to do during the day. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, the other thing I will do is start blogging on my website, which is bobspencer.com.au. I'll start doing that soonish. Okay. I'm doing cool. some video blogs. So I intend to do some geeky stuff. Yeah. Like. Uh, Hey, this is what sort of microphone I like this week. Yeah, and great. I'll do some geeky stuff, stuff like that. Bearing in mind that this is just what works for me. Yeah. And you might go, that is just the dumbest rig I've ever seen, <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> cool. So I'll do some, I'll do some geeky stuff. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Cool. Well, we'll we'll look out for that definitely, and um, we'll keep plugging, Thanks, plugging along the process. That's great. So Bob, Thank hey. You. Mate, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic. My pleasure. Mate, I've seen you play over the years in different places around around Sydney anyway when you're up in town. So, it's um, yeah, it's a great thrill and a pleasure to, to have met you and, and talked guitars with you. It's really cool. I, I really appreciate your time, Matt. Thank you very much. Cool. Cheers. All right, we'll, we'll talk soon and we'll look out uh, for the next geeky update from you. All right. <laughs> Take care, mate. Thanks Cheers, a lot. mate. See ya. All right. Ciao. All right, so that's the Bob Spencer interview, except we just kept chatting for a few more minutes um, after we uh, kind of wrapped it up. So um, here's the encore. Here's five more minutes with Bob Spencer. The thing that concerns me about guitar players is they get hung up on what gear everybody else is using. Yeah, sure, yeah. And I I know that that's what keeps retail going. Yes, very much. Um, But it's, it's, you know, fine... What I now know is that finding your own voice is really the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. And whatever it takes to find your own voice, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever it takes. You yeah. know, don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't want. It's all interesting, and it's you know, I, I'm a Paul Kossoff fan, as you know. Yeah. So if I read an art, if I see an article on Paul Kossoff's Les Paul. I'm going to read it, even though I'm, it's meaningless. Yeah. But it's Paul Kossoff. Yeah, right. So I'm going to read it. Even though I know I'm wasting my time. I'm still, <laughs> you know? Yeah, or, yeah of course. Or, uh, or, or, you know, it could be Jeff Beck's fuzz box. Now, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's meaningless to me, but it's Jeff Beck. Yeah. So I'm going to read it. Yeah. But I think the danger is believing that stuff. 
you know, the danger is believing I have to do this or I have to do that. Or my favourite guitar at the moment is that my Chinese SG Junior. Okay, so the Tokai. Yeah, the Chinese one. Oh wow, that's cool. And it's all the wrong woods, right? It's got a basswood body. Okay. Some sort of maple, maple <laughs> egg. Yeah. Some sort of rosewood. Lord knows where it came from. In inverted uh, commas for the, for the listeners there. Yeah, you know, just um, yeah. and the pickup is a, a Kinman P90. Oh, okay, yep. So that's the only kind of legitimate part of the guitar. Yeah, right. This is by far my favourite guitar at the moment. Really? Wow. I just love playing. I love playing Jeremy's guitar, but the whammy bar drives me nuts sometimes. Oh, okay. Because in the tune, it actually it sounds awesome. Yeah, well, I, I love doing whammy, whammy bar stuff. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, you, you can get that singing thing yeah, with a whammy Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I love the, you know, you can, whoop, whoop, you can sing those things. Yeah, cool. I, I like that. Is that, know, a, is that a Jeff Beck thing for you? Was he oh, it's kind influence? of Jeff Beck. Yeah? yeah I mean, like it doesn't Jeff sound Beck. like Jeff Beck, but I'm just saying, you know, did you pick that oh, kind Beck of... Jeff Beck was a huge influence on me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I've, you know, I've had Truth since I was... The album Truth mm-hmm. since I was, I don't know, 14, I guess. Okay. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, Beck was an influence on me. And I, I, I love his recent use of whammy bar i don't try and do that mm-hmm. um but you know the guy's a master at doing it yeah it's fantastic so yeah beck is an influence but i think i i just think that more in terms of the again and i'm going to sound like a hippie but it's kind of like the shape and the color of the sound yeah sure that's what i'm after yeah and the a whammy bar is is one way of helping me achieve those little colors yeah cool but I don't think, oh, Whammy Bar, Jeff Beck. I, I think Whammy Bar, and then I think about the the, the, the shape of the notes. I, I'm sorry to make it sound so odd. No, but... I, I love that. I, th- I think one of the great things about guitar is that you can shape the note. You can literally shape the note yeah. so many different ways with your vibrato yeah. or your bar or, yeah, you know, the, the fingering, the, the yeah. which string you play the exact same note on. That's right. So all that stuff. I love tone, that kind of talk. All those colours, or timbre, or timber or whatever. All those colours that you can get. That's the. That's the. Oh, that's what I love about guitar. And the other thing I love about whammy bar is that um, you can float around the twelve tone system. Uh huh. So, because I, I love the twelve tone system. Well, kind of. When I'm playing rhythm, it's yeah. nice and steady, ish. Um, but when I'm playing solos, I like to play notes that are bent slightly sharp or approach them flat and then okay. don't go quite up to them. Yeah, right. There's a lot of, if you look at that solo and who are these people, there's a lot of stuff there where it's not really, the notes are not really part of the 12 tone. Uh-huh. And I, do, I, I don't do that because I, I can't pitch. <laughs> I do that because I like that sound. Yeah, cool. I like the sound of a, um, a flat seven that's flat. Yeah, of a flat seven. Okay. I like a flat. I like a flat third that's both flat and sharp of a flat third. Okay. And I like fives that are slightly flat from five. I, you know, I like all that stuff. Yeah, those, wow. Those other colours, you know. Cool. So there's so much, isn't there, Matt? You can go on for, for years. All right, well, that is the Bob Spencer interview wrapped up. Um, my great thanks to Bob. Uh, it was such a, um, such a great opportunity for me to speak to him. And I need to give a thank you, a shout-out to Brett Kingman. Now, Brett, you'll know we interviewed back in episode number five. Uh, Brett helped me get in touch with, with Bob and, and hooked us up. So um, thanks, Brett. I really appreciate it. You know what? Bob really, um, for me, encapsulates... Um, what a lot of our guests on the show so far have have been about and that's that you know he's been playing for a while he's been playing professionally you know really for a long time and um, he's still still hungry to create still really passionate about playing the guitar and and getting great sounds out of it and, and expressing himself with it so I'm really looking forward to hearing his album when that gets out and um, yeah, I encourage you guys check Bob out on his Facebook page and look out for the album updates. They're sure to be really, really interesting. 
All right, so Guitar Speak Podcast Episode 9 is just about done. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's great hearing about people from all over the place listening to the show. Uh, remember, you can find us on iTunes. You can subscribe on iTunes and have it delivered every week. Um, you can also find us on Stitcher, which is great for Android users. And um, yeah, our website, guitarspeakpodcast.libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, guitarspeakpodcast.libsyn.com. You can find us there as well. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. You can email us, guitarspeakpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, if you've got some interesting tracks, you can send them to us. We'll see what we can do about all that. All right, until next week, we'll see you next time.